God used Jason's birth. He used uh, uh, the accident when my neck was broken and the death of, of my first wife. God used those events to really equip me for different phases of ministry. And when people say, well, you don't understand what I'm going through, I can say, oh yeah, I've been there and done that. Got a few t-shirts for that. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef, and each week we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. This is a trying time. Whether you're struggling with social distancing, or you have lost your job, or you're experiencing health issues, 2020 has been a tough year for so many of us. Today's free download, Why Understanding Suffering in Light of the Gospel, is a visual guide that provides biblical insight on why suffering exists, three types of suffering and the hope God provides in each one, scriptural examples of God's redemptive work in suffering, promises we can cling to in times of difficulty. Discover the unshakable hope, peace, and comfort that God gives his children in the midst of life's trials. Visit ltw.org slash candid for your free download today. Today I have the honor of welcoming Stan Carter to Candid Conversations. Stan recently retired from pastoral care at the Church of the Apostles after 40 years of ministry. During that time, he covered almost every facet of pastoral ministry. Stan was born and raised in the Midwest and pastored a beloved rural church for 10 years. In 1981, he welcomed his third child with his wife, Ruth. The child was disabled. This led him to California where he served in a megachurch ministry to people with special needs and their families. And he's been actively involved with a parachurch ministry that ministers to the disabled for years. In the 1980s, he was also in a major semi-truck accident, and his neck was broken at the C2 level. He spent countless hours in rehab, relearning basic skills. This experience led him to become a chaplain at a rehabilitation facility for 10 years. Stan and Ruth moved with their three children to Georgia in 1994, and he joined the pastoral staff at the Church of the Apostles in 2003. In 2004, Ruth died suddenly. During that time, Stan grew in his love for congregational care and became the director of congregational care in 2006. He retired from this role within the last year, but he continues to serve on the Leading the Way pastoral care team and as a chaplain at a long-term acute care unit. Today, he is married to a great and wonderful woman, Sally. If anyone is qualified to guide us on how to minister to people during difficult times, it is my friend, Stan Carter. Stan Carter, welcome to Candid Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on, brother. Well, thank you. It's nice to be here today. And Stan, we're talking about ministering during this time of crisis but i think it, it's it's a bit even further beyond that i mean it's really just ministering in general you know mm-hmm. god is is seeking to use his people to minister to one another and also to the lost 
And so I wonder if, you know, just for our, our listeners to get a little bit of a, a, a picture of who you are and, and how you got into this role of pastoring people, ministering to people. Well, it's interesting. The very first day I was ever in ministry at a church, I was involved in pastoral care because we had a church picnic. One guy took off on a motorcycle, crashed the motorcycle, so he ended up in the hospital. So the second day I was ever in ministry, I was in the hospital. But I, I think the real reality of that intensity of ministering really took place when my third son was born. Yeah. Uh, he was born with a disability. We had to air flight him to a hospital because he was dying. Uh, and that introduced me to a whole world of, of people and parents who have disabilities mm-hmm. and need that pastoral touch. So um, we moved to, uh, after Jason was born, we moved to California, worked in a large church there. And I worked with Special Ministries, which was a ministry. We had about 500 disabled people that we worked with. But I was also a chaplain at a rehab unit of um, high-intensity uh, gunshot wounds, car accidents, gang war type of injuries. Um, and that really opened up a, a whole other aspect of ministering and caring for people. And uh, eventually we moved to Georgia here, and I was a volunteer chaplain at a hospital for many, many years, as well as a chaplain at a long-term acute care unit, mm. which is sub-ICU. Mm. And um, so it's just been a continual pattern all through life that God has given me those opportunities. And when I came here to uh, Church of the Apostles and began uh, to be involved in congregational care, it was just an ongoing ministry of all those different events going on. God has allowed you to face a lot of different circumstances. Mm -hmm. Do you think that He has specifically allowed those things so that you can then because you've been through those things, you are uniquely equipped to minister to people mm-hmm. um, who are facing similar and even even not so similar mm-hmm. situations. But yeah. but just the because you have felt the need for a pastoral presence, yeah. a, a, a friendly face, mm-hmm. you you you're equipped to do that. Yeah, I think it did. I think God used Jason's birth. He used. Uh, uh, the accident, you know, when I when my neck was broken and, you know, the, the death of, of my first wife. God used those events to really equip me for different phases of ministry. And when people say, well, you don't understand what I'm going through, I can say, oh, yeah, I've been there and done that. Got a few T-shirts for that. So, I mean, I think it lends authenticity uh, because you face that reality and how you respond to that reality is either going to be a... God's either going to use that in your life to be a blessing to others or you're going to become bitter because of that. My next question flows from that because, and we're going to get into the more specific things as it relates to this crisis, but but just as I'm thinking through this, I'm thinking, okay, but what about to the lay person who has not been through mm-hmm. great difficulties? Yeah. Are they still able to um, have a word with someone, to counsel someone, to be a friend, and, and what would that look like? Oh, absolutely, them? absolutely. I, I think the, the thing I have learned throughout the years, even with lay people, is just the power of presence. When I broke my neck, I was in the hospital for 17 days, and a guy walked into my room, and he said, uh, my name is Chet Evans, and, and uh, I know your parents. Okay. He said, well, what do you want? And I was so shocked. I, I said, well, I'll take a pizza. And, and he did. And he came back 20 minutes later with a pizza. But 
THROUGH THAT GUY, HE uh, HELPED ME LEARN TO WALK AGAIN. BUT HE WAS THERE EVERY DAY, JUST QUIETLY MINISTERING. 20 YEARS WENT BY. I NEVER SAW HIM AGAIN. AND I'M AT A CONFERENCE. I WAS SPEAKING THERE. AND I TURN AROUND, AND THERE HE IS. WOW. WHAT A POWERFUL MOMENT THAT WAS. But. It was just that he was just making himself available. I think so many times people think it has to be something dramatic. It doesn't have to be dramatic. It just it's the power of presence of you being available for the Holy Spirit to use you and just the way he chooses to do that. Mm. You you can't prescribe these things. You're just available to respond and allow the Spirit of God to use you. President, it's funny, you know, we talk about the book of Job, and it's like we all feel like we need to have an answer. Mm -hmm. We need to say the right thing at the right time that's just going to penetrate and get this person out of whatever they're going through. And I think of Job's friends, and the only thing they did right the whole time was when they put sackcloth and ashes on and just sat with him in silence. That's right. I mean, there have been times I have sat with people. There have been times that people have sat with me Mm. and never said a word, patted me on the shoulder, and left. But I will never forget those times. Yeah, I remember a, a, a lady walked into my house one time when my first wife died, put a, a sack of paper towels and paper plates on the counter and said, love you, and walked out. You never forget it? I never forgot it, no. Huh? And, it, and I think people think they have to do something stupendous to be important rather than just doing the common thing, which is necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, into our, our kind of current situation, you know, you're such a, uh, an integral part of the care team uh, at Leading the Way. Have you seen an increase in uh, requests for help during this sort of COVID-19 coronavirus time? Yeah, I think, I think that there's just a general feeling of malaise. Sure. Uh, but, but a sense of uh, a deep sense of quiet anxiety. Just fear of of the unknown, fear of the future, mm-hmm. what's going to happen, what's it going to be like, what do I need to do, mm-hmm. is this really real? Like one man said, an unseen thing brings the world upside down. And, and it's true. I mean, if people can see what it is, then they know what to avoid and they can make preparations and whatever. But for something that is unseen that has such a dynamic impact, people are saying, well, this is really big. This is way beyond me. And I think it's creating a sense of, of a great sense of uncertainty. Mm. And a lot of people are just questioning how fragile life is, how um, fearful they are. But when they write in and, or, or they call in, it's just a, um, well, I, I'm not so certain. Well, I did, you know, mm. it's that whole concept of what James says in, in Scripture. You know, your life's a vapor. Yeah. And I think people are really beginning to that see some of that. Yeah, the reality of that. Yeah. I have a kind of a specific question to this, and, and you may not have an answer, but have you seen a, a shift in the types of prayers or requests or whatever it is that are coming in as the weeks have progressed? As this thing has gotten longer and longer, has 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 either the numbers increased or have the the needs and requests changed in some? Uh, I, I think at the beginning, I, I remember when I watched the interview that you did. You know, I think everybody said the first week it's a novel idea. Oh, I'm going to be home. Oh, great, great. 
Well, now that we're in it for a longer period of time, it's like, what am I going to do? You know, type of thing. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of people are are really asking some real questions that maybe they had in the back of their mind. Right. But now those questions are starting to come forward as more and more time goes on. Yeah. Yeah. You've covered some of the, the, you know, anxieties and fears, Mm -hmm. but are there any sort of common needs and concerns that are coming through? I think one is... How can I be certain I will go to heaven? And secondly, from believers who are saying, what verses are there that you can show me from the Bible where I can have assurance of salvation? Mm-hmm. And, and is this coming from a, a range of age demographics? Mm-hmm. Yes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've had even young kids. Uh, by young, I mean uh, 17-year-olds. Okay. Yeah. Clear up to one man, 82, called the other day. And so... I think there is just that sense of, because I'm not in control, what's going to happen? And what are you finding is the theme that's causing a lack of assurance on their part? I think the theme is a real lack of reading and studying and understanding the Scripture. That's one. And two, the lack of what real understanding of theology is. Um, I think so many people have had the attitude, well, God is just at my beck and call, so I'll call him now when I need him. Well, now they're seeing, I really need him. Uh You know, Uh who is this Lord God that I'm calling out to? And I think a lot of people are asking that, those questions. Okay, and so then now applying that, how do you minister? How do you personally minister? And then we can kind of take this to the how do the lay people minister yeah. with helping bring resolution to that or, or answering that? Because we have answers to that, sure. those yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How have you been doing that? I don't want to be presumptive about yeah, their Yeah, and I want to set that up because I think some people tendencies can be you dummy, there's assurance, you know, and here's all the passages yeah, yeah, and yeah, just yeah, sort yeah. of throwing mm-hmm. them, making them feel terrible. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, how do we do this with grace? Yeah, I, I think you really address their concern with compassion. Mm-hmm. I think that if it's a phone call, it's tone of voice. Yeah. A sincere, let me show you from Scripture what God says. And if you don't have a Bible, do you have a pen and paper? I talked to a person who was a schizophrenic the other day in New York, and I said, do you have a pen and paper handy? He said, no, but would you please stay on the phone so I can go get one? And he did. And he wrote down these verses. He said, I don't read well. He says, because I'm schizophrenic. And I said, that's okay. But those are your verses. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you write them down and then go back and look at them and then take your time reading so that you understand. So I think you address that individual need with real heartfelt concern and compassion because you want them to comprehend what the passage is saying, not just reading black ink on white paper. And I think people are having now that desire to really grasp and comprehend what true salvation really is. How do you create grounding to where they say, okay, I'm reading this and I actually believe it? Yeah, yeah. I think... Because I'll, I'll ask questions. Are you at the passage, honey? Do you see what the passage says? Yeah. Now, you've read that passage. 
how are you going to apply that to you? Do you believe that that passage is true because it's God's word? Yes. Okay. Then it's addressing your need. Now, how are you going to apply that and believe that is going to be applicable to your life? And I can't force you to believe that. I can't force you to accept that. But you've come with a concern and and a deep desire for peace and resolution. And these verses can do that. But what are you going to do with what I've just said? Hmm. And I think what happens is you want them to take responsibility for their response. Not just, okay, thank you very much and and be warm and be filled and God bless. But how are they going to grasp what you're trying to say will always be a challenge. But I think as you talk with them and as you email them uh, and you put it in terms that they can understand, because some of these people have absolutely no theological understanding whatsoever. But when they can say, oh, oh, I see it. Oh, I've got it then it's like the aha moment takes on a whole deep significance. I'm seeing a sort of a convergence of the two things you're talking about, and I think it's the, it's the, the theology and it's the power of presence. Oh, that's true. And, and it's funny because I think the easy thing that we as Christians can do is someone's going through a hard time and they ask us, and we just want to give them the Bible verses and say, you go and do it, but the onus is on them now. Yeah. Just, you know, sometimes that's yeah, yeah. the only way you can yeah, do that. Yeah. But in some ways... What you've just described, I think, probably doesn't happen very often, which is the let's read this together and let's talk about it so I can ask you the question so that they are actually confronted with it and they have to verbalize it with their own lips, Mm -hmm. which I think uh, psychologists would probably tell you that's reinforcing something in them. Absolutely. Um, I remember meeting with a guy in Australia and we sat in the park and I said, you know, I could just give you a Bible or whatever and send you on your way, mm-hmm. but you're not going to read it. Mm-mm. I need to sit down with you and read through this together mm-hmm. and then let you ask questions and try and respond as best I can. Mm-hmm. There's something to this sort of one-to-one reading of Scripture yeah. Yeah. that allows that person's mind to really wrestle and engage with it. Because I think nowadays we're getting few and few real, like, readers. Yes. Like, and, in general. Yes, and not only that, but I think also... The concept of the social distancing has, you know, well, how are you doing? I'm fine. How's the thing going? Oh, good. You know, yes. what'd you have for lunch? Ham sandwiches. <laughs> the guy in the Wall Street Journal said the other day. And that's the extent of the conversation. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, with social distancing and people not knowing what to say and people not knowing what to do, yeah. I think it gives that deeper interaction, gives that person a sense of calmness, assurance, appreciation. Wow, these people really do care. This person really is interested in what I'm saying. This person is maybe social distancing, but not spiritually distancing from me. Okay, now I wonder if you could give us a couple of examples because, uh, you know, that can be now in our neighborhoods. uh, Mm -hmm. If anyone's been in fair weather lately, Mm -hmm. you're seeing everybody out walking their dogs and out in the streets. So there's there's those moments of connectivity that Mm -hmm. can start. You can you could do this. That's a conversation that can happen over the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, even even really, you could do it through text messages if you had to. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if you've got a couple of real examples. And we even talked earlier about some people yep. in your neighborhood. Just the way that you're doing that ministry of presence with, with yeah. Folks. The, the, yeah. The interesting thing is we have some people in our neighborhood that are battling cancer, and so 
uh, my wife said, well, let's just take the newspaper over to them since they don't subscribe to the newspaper. So we take the daily news. We take two newspapers over to them every day. And it's amazing that simple act has broken down so many barriers. You know, in Matthew 9, it's an interesting passage. Jesus sees the multitude. He's moved with compassion, literally is, is convulsing with, with emotion at the, the waywardness and the lostness and the wandering of uh, people like sheep without a shepherd. But the next verse is interesting. The very first word of the next verse says, then Jesus says to his disciples, and so it's not a matter that we're having raw emotionalism drive us in this crisis that we're at. It's compassion. It's taking that emotion that we feel and we combine that with action to make it better for the person or the situation. That's compassion. Mm. And so many people think it has to be a big act to be important. It doesn't. My wife has made a map of the neighborhood and the houses and which dogs live at what house. And she gives it to every person that's new in the neighborhood. I was stunned. And yet, and where we live, because we're in an older community, these people, dogs are like their children. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. But, but it's amazing by simply, Sally simply asking them, well, how's... Lucy doing today, or how's Izzy doing today? It has opened up more doors to talk. And I think it's the little acts of just maybe one to two people in your neighborhood. You you may not hit the whole neighborhood, but that intentional, quiet interaction with just one or two couples. I just read a great quote the other day, prayer knows no quarantine. I thought, that's a great statement Mm -hmm. because you can pray for those people and you should be. Mm. And and you can say, okay, Lord, how can I minister to them today? How do you want to use me today? And it may be in absolutely unremarkable, common ways. But those are powerful ways, especially now. Mm. Because the social distancing concept it's made people mentally distant. Right. And in, in some cases, instead of making them spiritually distant, it's drawing them spiritually closer. So we've got unique opportunities that we've never had before with unique mindsets that people have that they've never had before. And I think this crisis is forcing them to think about life in many unique ways. You know? I think it could be easy to focus on all the things that are bad you know, economic issues, yeah, yeah. Um, social issues. But yeah. you're right. I think I think for Christians, it's extremely important that we look for what opportunities mm-hmm. it's actually presenting us. That's right. Because yeah. we don't want to wake up one day and think, "Oops, mm-hmm. I missed. Yeah. I missed that window that I had." Mm-hmm. You know, in saying that, I, I read a quote from a theologian yesterday. It says, "Hope in Christ makes me passionate not to waste my life." And I thought, yes, don't waste your life. Let the Lord use your life. And you are you and I am whoever you are. Let the Lord use your personality Hmm. in those quiet ways to minister. Hmm. Whether it's giving a cup of cold water uh, to uh, they're building a house in our neighborhood. Hmm. So I said, we need to take them some Gatorade. So she goes out and buys Gatorade and gives it to the guys framing the house. Just a few bucks. A few bucks. 
it's just interesting, amazing, yeah. For the believer that's listening that says, yeah, but that's not for me. I'm, I'm the timid type. I'm the introvert. Mm-hmm. I like to keep to myself. Mm-hmm. Those aren't my giftings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really know what to do to minister who are going to people who are going through a difficult time or suffering. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's mm-hmm. just beyond my pay grade. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to them? I would say, first of all, to be to make it your personal prayer to say, Lord, I'm willing to be willing to be used. I really am willing, Lord. That hurdle, when that's crossed, that's huge. Because you're saying, I'm not presupposing how God's going to use me. I don't need to know the situation where he's going to... No, no, you don't get that privilege. You know, you're saying, Lord, unconditionally, I'm just asking you, I'm willing for you to use me. And I've seen timid people come out like lions sometime. And you're sitting there going like, wow, you know. But it was just that they were willing... I think it's the prayer. I think it's an, uh, an absolute dependence upon listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. To say, you know, when the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something, to obey. Mm-hmm. Not rationalize it away. Right. Don't make it think it's secondary. Or it's like, nah, that's not really that important. Oh, it may be. So I, I think it's that quiet willingness. I think it's that, that yieldedness that says, okay, Lord, whatever you have before me this day, Lord, you know, I'm scared to death of people. They, they really bug me. I'd re- I'm more content in my house. Mm. But I think when people begin to move out of their safe zones and they begin to realize God can use you. Mm. Every believer is called to be salt and light. And light penetrates the darkness. And salt creates thirst. And so, is my life doing that? Mm. Uh, Being salt and light is not optional. The Great Commission wasn't uh, something to be thought about. It was something to be obeyed. It's a commission, Even for the timid person, you don't have to stand up in front of a crowd of 500 and talk. It's sharing that conversation over the fence. It's, it's helping someone you see struggling in their yard, walking up the steps to go over and lend a hand. I know it sounds silly, but what we did, we went around after the trash guys came, and we put all of the trash cans up next to the garage. And the people said, who did that? <laughs> well, it was, the, it was the minister down the street he did that. Well, what church does he go to? I've never heard of a church doing something like that, you know. But <laughs> right. I mean, it was just the yeah. simple things. Yeah. And, and and for the timid person, I'd say, I would just tell them, be willing just to be willing in your heart and in your mind to yield those fears, to yield that timidity, to yield that uneasiness and say, okay, Lord, I, I'm going to step out in absolute dependence upon you mm. and just wait and see what happens. Mm. Yeah. And I think it, it's a quote that your dad said the greater the darkness, the brighter the light. Mm. And we are in a very difficult time. But when I think the people around us can see that quiet, contented, trust, peace of heart, that triggers something in them. Uh, my neighbor has multiple restaurants. Of course, he's had to close them all down. Yeah. And so we were, we were social distancing with them the other day. And you could see the angst 
Mm. Just there. Just kind of under the under the skin uneasiness. And I walked by and, and I said, how you doing, Lou? Well, you know, well, bad, huh? Yeah, really, you know, that type of thing. But my prayer as we went to meet with him was just let them see the peace of Christ that rules and reigns. And that I'm not filled with anxiety or anxiousness because I run to the rock and he's a refuge and I'm safe. I'm safe. Christ is our rock. It's not a chip. It's not gravel. It's a rock. And it's solid. Hmm. And the Lord's a fortress. And he guards his children. And he's also on the offensive that he loves his children, but he's also on the defensive to destroy the enemies. Hmm. You know know what I'm saying? He Hmm. defends his children and and he fights for them. Hmm. And the Lord fights for us. And gives us that, that peace and that contentment when we put our absolute trust and confidence in Him. These have been um, encouraging and helpful for me just to think through some of these simple things that we could be doing yeah. in our neighborhood. I wonder if you'd just close us out. Thank, first of all, thank you for being oh, on the program. Thank you for the privilege. Yeah. I wonder if uh, you could pray for us mm-hmm. um, for, for the opportunities that, that God would open our eyes to see yeah. mm-hmm. uh, what He may have in you store. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, that you are the sovereign God of the universe. You're never surprised. You're never wringing your hands in anxiety. You're never biting your nails in worry. But your hands are always open, and you say, Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we walk through our neighborhoods, as we have dialogue with neighbors, as we, as we speak with friends, Lord Jesus, may they see the peace that passes all understanding emanating from us to them. May they see the love of Christ in little actions that we do, little things to help, little steps that we take to build those bridges to speak those words of life to those that are wandering in darkness. So, Lord Jesus, I pray, if there are people out there that just timid and they don't know what to do, may you give them, may they just pray to have a willing spirit to be used by you. And may they just look for simple little opportunities to serve. And, Lord, I pray that you bring them those opportunities across their paths to show the joy, the peace, the contentedness that Christ can bring And give them the openings, Lord, to speak of your wonderful praise and what the great gift of salvation is all about. For it's in your good and wondrous name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a friend, leave a review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. By subscribing, you make sure you never miss an episode. It's delivered to you as soon as we release it. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit ltw.org candid to connect with these pages, share your questions with me, and get this week's free download, Why 
suffering in light of the gospel. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Thanks for listening.